Welcome to Tucson New Thought. I love the bridge of this song. All the verses of the song are basically speaking in affirmation. Where I am, God is. Where I stand, God is. Where I breathe, God is breathing life in and out and through me. Where I sing, God is. Where I dance, joy lifts my feet. Where I live, beauty's flowing free in and out and through me as me. Those are the verses. The bridge has a little bit of a turn. And I think it's a turn that we can all relate to. Where I doubt, where I cry, where I seek. Has anyone ever had any doubt in their lives? I doubt it. it. Has anyone ever cried? Trust me, you can catch me on a Sunday and I'll cry. Like in the right circumstances, I cry. Where I seek. In those places too, God is. God is expressing as us. And sometimes I think we separate ourselves from that very notion that God is present even in the hurt. God is present even in the challenges of life. God is always present because God can never be not present because we are God. We're always with ourselves, right? Where I speak, truth is. Where I work, love is my career. Where I play, life is playing boldly. Where I am, where I stand, where I play, where I work and breathe and move and be, where I sing, where I dance my dance, wherever I go, wherever I go, that's where God is, no matter what. God is not a thing that you find in a space like this, although it is fully present here because it is fully present everywhere. But God is everywhere you go, even when you're driving down Speedway Boulevard and somebody cuts you off. God is in that. It can be hard to recognize sometimes, but this is the reminder. This is why, again, we come here on a Sunday is to be reminded of this truth that no matter what, love is always at the core of everything we do, everything we think, everything we say, everything we experience, love and God being synonyms for one another. I listen to podcasts. I love podcasts. I, I'm, first of all, I've subscribed to more podcasts than I could ever listen to in an entire lifetime. Um, I have more podcast recordings than, than, you know, and and I choose, pick and choose every week. There's one in particular that I absolutely love. And those who know me will probably think, oh, he's going to talk about the West Wing Weekly. That is not the podcast that I'm going to talk about today, although I do love that podcast. The podcast I want to talk about today is called The Illusionist. The Illusionist. It's a podcast about language. I love language. I really love language. And one of the things that came up recently on one of the podcast uh, recordings, it was actually their 100th episode, uh, the host, Helen Zaltzman, talked about the concept of language and then the purpose and use of dictionaries. Dictionaries, she reminds us, are not meant to be prescriptive. That is, the dictionary is not the rule book. The dictionary is not the place that we go um, to learn 
how words are used. The dictionary is descriptive. It is basically saying, here is how a word is currently being used given the context of this time and place. So it can be somewhat prescriptive if we don't know a word. But I think if we truly understand that going to that place of understanding that it is really descriptive of a particular time and place, then we get a lot more benefit out of utilizing the dictionary. A great example of this is, is this word, and, and you, I, I, I hope on some level you laugh because I used to be a bit of uh, one of those grammar police people, and it would drive me out of my mind when people would use this word in a way that I had thought it was not meant to be used. And the word is literally. The definition of literally means in actual fact, right? That is the definition. The dictionary, however, if you start to go on dictionaries, you're going to find that they have started to define the word in use with exactly its opposite meaning. It is now actually, there, is actually, there are actually dictionary entries that are saying that literally, in, the, in particular context, can mean figuratively. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. Language changes. Language changes. We have seen this happen throughout history. Language changes, and that's okay. So the literal meaning of the word literally means literally or figuratively, depending on the context. As I was thinking about this idea, I had this, I had this concept of thinking, well, how does this apply in a spiritual context to my life? And I thought, well, how do I define God? Is my definition of God prescriptive or descriptive? How do you define God? That's an actual question. I'm going to grab my little cup of water and see if anybody has an answer. Everybody's afraid. Oh, teacher's calling on us. Infinite beingness. Okay. You don't. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I actually have, in past talks, I've talked about the very nature of language being something that is limiting that which is ineffable and unlimited. And there's absolutely no way that we can accurately describe that thing itself in language. It, aren't they all trick questions? Literally. <laughs> aren't they all? Yeah. There is no accurate way to describe the ineffable. I want to say descriptive, but I can't come up with words. Okay. Because it's like there, it's just an understanding. An understanding? That I have. All right. So I, it's like it defies words. It defies words. It's an understanding. I always like to say, for me, it's a feeling. I, that's yeah. for me. Yeah. I have deepened into this understanding that when I let language go, God for me is a feeling. God for me is that impulse within that says yes to everything. God is that creative nature, that creative energy that is always flowing forth. This is who and what we are. So in some ways we could say a definition of God might be looking in the mirror and determining how you define yourself 
How do you describe yourself? Because those are all attributes of the divine. And that includes everything that you call good. It includes everything that you call bad. It includes everything that you call constructive. It includes everything that you call destructive. For too long, far too many people have feared God. They have feared this notion of, I think, not necessarily how it's come to be expressed in many traditions, which is that thing out there that has dominion, but it's, it's fearing that infinite creative power within ourselves. You know, Marianne Williamson, the famous quote that, you know, the thing we fear, I'm going to butcher the quote, but the thing we fear is ultimately that power within ourselves, that we are infinitely powerful. And so fearing that infinite power is the thing that holds us back from deeper expression, infinite expression. It is not something out there. God has been prescriptive in that sense, to think that it is something out there to be feared. If we are God, then the word is simply descriptive. For it describes the attributes at our core, that feeling. So funny, I finally got to this. It says, we use language to try to describe the ineffable, and it's literally impossible. So really the question today is how do you describe yourself? What are the things you use to describe yourself? How do you define yourself in this experience and expression of life? Because that is the description, that is the definition of God at the level of your expression and experience of it. And it is so much more because when you combine all the aspects of the universal, that infinite wholeness, that unity, that oneness, that we all are immersed in and share, it feels a little overwhelming. To me, sometimes. Ernest Holmes wrote, everyone is universal on the subjective side of life and individual only at the point of conscious perception. Everyone is universal on the subjective side of life and individual only at the point of conscious perception. This is a quote that I use a lot when I'm teaching classes, and it's, it, it, there's a little bit to unpack here because if you don't know how we teach the creative process within the context of this particular faith philosophy, um, it'll feel a little out there. So I'm going to unpack it a little bit. Everyone is universal. Let's just start with that. Everyone is universal. Now, he says, on the subjective side of life, that is, at the, at, at below the level of awareness, we are infinite beingness. We become individualized only when we have an active thought, the point of conscious perception. We perceive ourselves as something limited, and we become a limited expression of this infinite nature. That's how I felt when I first came into this philosophy. I was like, what are you talking about? Here's the thing about the limitations of life. It's a context for the experience of life. But the more we lay aside those limitations, the more we understand who and what we are, the more freeing that is the more we get to experience the expression of God in its fullness. And even then, 
we think about it, and it limits us. So in some ways, the science of mind, the science of spirit, is to let go of our thinking minds and trust and live in faith and trust. We are limited by our own self-perception. The more we expand the limitations of understanding, the more freedom we experience, the more we actively co-create our lives in the way that we would like. Because the nature of this infinite divine power is constructive. It is forward-moving. It is to be expressed, never to diminish. So there are ways in which I've limited my life that I have fought against and I have fought for. And I've always been a little bit on a tightrope of one particular way in which I have lived my life in limitation. And that is, so part of, part of what comes up for me is that this is Pride Month. You know, we, in Tucson, we do the Pride Celebration in September because who wants to be out in the park uh, you know, in 100 plus weather? <laughs> My very first Pride celebration when I first came out in 1991 was on Hippie Hill <laughs> in June. Yeah, and I'm grateful they've moved it. But I came out when I, in 1991, right after I graduated from high school. And I had self-inflicted wounds from the way I experienced the world not because the world was doing anything to me, but because I had made decisions about myself based on the context of those things out there. So I was coming of age in the 1980s as a gay man. Does anyone remember what was happening in the 1980s in the gay community? I have to tell you that it was devastating and I still have residual effects of fear from growing up and coming of age during that particular time as a gay man. That predominant story about the gay community, and specifically gay men, now I step back and I look and ask this question, was that prescriptive or descriptive? Is it a description of a time and place, or was it a prescriptive notion that meant this is how I need to live my life? How much do we listen to what is out there? A lot. I heard somebody say it. We listen to it a lot. We find meaning in the things out there, and I think sometimes forget about the meaning of that which is right here. Because when I really step back, and you know, I've, let's face it, years of therapy to move through this experience that I had where I decided to live based on that prescription of life. I didn't need to settle into that prescription of life. I could recognize that it was a descriptive aspect of that time, that place, and move through it. But I had a hard time with that. So how much do we listen to things out there and make them prescriptive? What are things that you can reflect on in your life that you may have made prescriptive? What are things that you can look to out there that you've said, oh, I see that. Well, that's the way it must be then. Even faith traditions. You know, I always say, 
the best work I could do in this world is to eliminate what I do in this world. <laughs> to help everyone learn and understand that you don't need prescriptions from a faith tradition to live your best life. But if it works for you, please keep showing up on Sundays. Please. Because <laughs> until I have eliminated my necessity in this world as a spiritual director of sorts, I'm going to keep doing it. And I think we all still need a reminder. What out there have you made prescriptive? I had a conversation with someone last week. It came up last week, and it was all around the concept of, you know, self-perception and how many people in life, and I see this all around me, people live according to diagnoses. They go to a medical professional or whatever, or even, you know, diagnoses are not just medical, but they go, in this particular, I'm going to use that as the construct, you go to seek a medical opinion, they provide you with a diagnosis. Here's the question, does that become prescriptive or descriptive? It can be both. It is both. But the minute you decide for it not to be prescriptive in your life, just descriptive of an experience at a particular point of time, things can change. Emma Curtis Hopkins very famously said, if a thought can redden the face, a thought can heal a bone. That's utilizing our thought in a constructive manner for goodness. So I think we should all, and this is, I, I, I include myself in this because I still fight with this prescriptive, descriptive idea. I think we should all work more to lessen the prescriptive nature of the things that we are being told and live more in the descriptive nature and say, I get to decide what I want my life to be. So as someone describes themselves according to a diagnosis, that becomes their life. Remember, anything that follows I am is the prescription of your life. That's what it becomes. I am whatever, that becomes the truth of your being. So there was a statement in this conversation that caught my attention, and that was that there was a decision on some level that this was a soul's agreement. And I had to step back and say, okay, and I asked, the, I asked a particular question, I said to this person, well, with whom did you make that agreement? Well, it's a soul's agreement, I made it, and, but with whom did you make that agreement? Because there's ultimately only one answer. When we make a soul's agreement, we are making an agreement with ourselves because we are that divine power. There is nothing outside the self with which we are making decisions, although we may look to things outside the self and that may color a decision. Ultimately, everything is rooted in that self. We make agreements with ourselves, which is why the power of decision is so important. Suffering is not a requirement for life. There are traditions that will say suffering is a part of life, but isn't that what we're looking to move past? I mean, in the Buddhist faith, ultimately, they say human life is suffering. The experience of human life is suffering, and that as we settle ourselves into a deeper understanding of the who of what we are, we alleviate that suffering. Suffering is not a requirement to teach others. 
It is not a requirement to teach ourselves. It is not a requirement to teach others. My mentor in ministry went through stage four throat cancer, and I watched him heal himself through both the use of traditional Western medicine and his mind. Because he was given a diagnosis that said, here's the prescription, you have stage four throat cancer, you probably will not live beyond six months. That was 11 years ago, and I'll tell you, he is going strong. Because he made a decision that he did not require suffering through a, through a medical diagnosis to learn, nor did he require it to teach his community. He's the spiritual director of a community. I'll tell you, it was a very powerful lesson that he did get to utilize, but it was not required for him, except to the degree that he may have decided on some level that it was required. That can be a soul's agreement, but again, who made that soul's agreement? He made it with himself. Below the level of awareness often is what happens when we make soul's agreements. Here's the great news. What I find to have been more beneficial and teachable is to have seen him move through that with grace and with ease to the other side of it. So, in alignment with this month's theme, taking action in love, today's call really is to go to that root of realness in our heart and stop looking out there to prescribe our way of life. The realness at the core of our being is ineffable. I utilize many words for it. The one I love the most is love. I love the word love. Lots of vibrant energy. Love, that infinite creative source from which all experience and expression springs forth. Let's truly settle in to describe ourselves at our core in alignment with the realness at our core. Right where we are, God is. Where we stand, God is standing strong. Where we work and play and pray and give and live, there is God. It doesn't require a definition. It requires expression. But if we must describe, let us describe ourselves according to these ideas and prescribe love as the way we lead and as the way we move forth in life and as the way we, we try to voice that which is ineffable. Ineffable. In the book, the big book, Ernest Holmes writes, love points the way, the law makes the way possible. We teach love and law. Love is the creative spirit, the law is the way that it unfolds. But they're exactly the same thing. They're two sides of one coin. Love acts through the law to create the expression of our lives. Love acting through law, the activity of love through law, is a way that I also like to describe God. Because that, for me, 
is what I have found to be real. The realness is love only. This is what we can choose to remember in every moment, who we are. We are love only. We can let go of limitations because the only limitations we experience are the ones we've prescribed upon ourselves. My fear around being a gay man, a lot of prescription in the 80s, I'd like to think I've moved through that, but it still rears its head once in a while, but I have tools now to know a deeper truth, and so I live in that. Let go of limitations that we prescribe. Let us begin to settle into a new description of the self rooted in constructive, the constructive attributes of the divine, which Troward says are love, light, life, peace, power, beauty, and joy. I like to add wisdom. Here's the deal. You can add any affirmative uh, adjective, and that is God. And it is still limiting. What is the realness in your heart. I often prescribe homework. I'm not going to do that this week because this week what I really would like you to do is live the question. What, re what, what resonates? What is the realness in your heart? Live the question. So I guess I am giving you homework. But it's, in some ways, it's not an active thing. It's a contemplative thing. And I think as we live the question, we find deeper answers because we move beyond language. We move beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond until we do truly have an experience of oneness with the infinite and as the infinite. That's what I would like for you to deepen into this week. Namaste. Thank you for listening. Visit TucsonNewThought.org for updates on everything that's happening at the center. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Tucson New Thought. Namaste.